This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Welcome to another episode of DSC's Campfires with me, Larry Wysoon. Today we're going to have some special guests. Just finished a hunt. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but before we do so, let's talk a little bit about Hayden Outdoors, the brand that sells land. These guys know their business. They know what's available. They know how to take care of the land. They know how to help you find what you're looking for. Or in case if you're trying to sell some land, they can also help you with that too. So before we get into today's broadcast, let's hear a few words from one of our guys to feed in a little bit more about some of the things that Hayden Outdoor does or maybe how it relates to wildlife management. One thing to consider if you're looking for a hunting ranch, maybe one of the most important things, if you're out west, you might want to try to find a piece of land if you can't buy 10,000 acres, say you're buying 160 so you get a landowner voucher, you might want to find 160 acres that actually borders national forest or is near national forest that has good access that'll really open up your hunting opportunities. So if the animals aren't on your small piece of property any given time, you've got access to getting tags, but you've got a lot of land not far away that you can access and have some good hunting on. Now, if you're down in Texas, one thing to consider, buy a little piece of ground. If it's surrounded by other small pieces of ground, everybody's got a feeder out. It's going to be hard to find mature animals, but if you can find a piece of ground that you can afford next to bigger ranches, you want to really consider what your neighbors are doing, how they're managing their ground. If they've got high fences, it'd be blocking you out from, from deer that might be coming back and forth. 
So there's a lot to consider when you're buying a piece of hunting property besides just the property you're looking at. If your primary interest in a hunting ranch is mule deer, in West Texas they've got animals that'll grow their whole life on the same ranch. Western Kansas on the river bottom is similar to that, but there's some parts of the West where you have a migrating herd. So you can have pictures in the late fall of giant mule deer bucks, but in the summer and early fall during hunting season they may be 100 miles away. So make sure when you look at a ranch, and if it's a mule deer you're interested in, that those deer are local deer or that the migration is happening during hunting season on that piece of property. So I have people calling me all the time that want to buy hunting property. A lot of times I don't even know what state they're thinking about. You know, if you're going to do high fence, exotics, Texas is probably the place. If you start talking about mule deer and elk, you probably want to talk about out west. You're going to need to find somebody out there that really understands hunting properties. There's a lot of brokers that will tell you that, yeah, this is a great elk property. Look at the sign. There's elk all over the place. They buy the place. They get out there and they find out it's perfect winter range. It's full elk in January. That doesn't help them out much. So you want to ask the right questions. Make sure it's a place. Look at the sign. Make sure there's rubs, wallows. There's a lot of things you want to look for, particularly in an elk property, to make sure that they're there during the hunting season when you need them there. You know, something else to consider if you're buying a ranch. You don't want to get a place, you want to make sure the zoning's correct. In other words, there's certain areas that there's a big development and you think you're buying a 50 or 80 acre piece of property so you should be able to do what you want to, but the covenants may not allow it. There's other areas that the zoning, you have to have 20 acres to be able to bow hunt. I lived in a place in Virginia for a little while where you actually could bow hunt on three acres. And there were so many deer in the area, my wife's nephews actually took their first two bucks on three acres. So sometimes it doesn't take a real big piece of property, especially for whitetails, but make sure that it's allowable. Because if you don't ask the right questions, you spend you know a pile of money, get to the place, and you get, end up with a ticket for shooting a buck and no place to hunt. So that's not what you want. Thank you, Hayden Outdoors. Really appreciate all the things you do in terms of working with landowners and working with new buyers and providing absolutely excellent information to them to accomplish the goals that they want to. Earlier I mentioned we've got three special guests today and of course we're coming off of a hunt that's a really interesting one so we're going to talk about that just a little bit. We've got Mr. David Murphy, Miss Stephanie Murphy and Brandon Houston with us. We're on some property out here in Stevens County out west of Fort Worth kind of close to the old Fort Griffin area that uh, years ago was home for a while for White Earp, Doc Holliday, the Mastersons, and uh, Hurricane Bill and Hurricane Minnie, which I'm going to have to find out a little bit more about. <laughs> Never heard about them, but sure do want to now. It's been an interesting hunt, an interesting weather. Who wants to start off? And or maybe we ought to call this the great, the great turtle escapade. <laughs> It definitely was that. <laughs> brought, brought to you there by were, the Turtle there were Terminator. Many, the Turtle Terminator. <laughs> many Pope and Young Turtles were, were harvested this week. You were a die-hard turtle conservationist. Oh. And my hats are 100% off to you. Well, and the fish. I was thinking about the fish. Yes. Because you yes. want to grow, you know bigger catfish down there and the turtle are eating all the babies i was i was just thinking about the fish well, you know you always want to have some predators but we mm -hmm. pull up to that pond i've never seen that many turtles in one pond of that size and so it just seemed like the ideal thing to do to try to remove it. a few of them we didn't remove all of them by any means but uh mm -hmm. there's a lot less than there were to start with have mm -hmm. you ever done that before mr i have never done that before i've shot a turtle but not I've never seen that many in a pond before. I just have never used it. Yeah, I've never done that before. That was fun. 
Brought back a lot of memories as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the way it was with me. I used to have a dear friend, Ian McMurtry, who was a biologist for Saskatchewan Game Department, absolutely fabulous writer, fabulous photographer, and one of the great experts on anything having to do with modern muzzleloaders years ago. But he'd come down to Texas, the only thing he wanted to do is shoot turtles. He'd come down for a deer hunt, and he'd ask for a 1022 or any other 22 that was available in a brick at shells, and usually before the that three or four day period was over with, we had to go back and get four or five more bricks. <laughs> so that he really loved us. But it, it, it was interesting in that we've had all kinds of weather. We have. We have definitely had all of it. The only thing we haven't had is snow, but Texas has thrown everything else at us. <laughs> a lot, <laughs> we went a from lot of wind. Torrential downpours, mm-hmm. thunderstorms and lightning, to 20, 30 mile an hour winds, 95 miles an hour to thermals this morning, no wind. It was miserable. And back to now, if you listen, you probably were in the house because you couldn't sit outside because the wind would blow the sound away before it got a chance to be recorded. So it's gone back to that again. Yeah, this wind is shaking these old bull mesquites and brought life back into them like when they were young. <laughs> I mean, they, well, you know, you, you may have something there, by God. It's kind of like when they were switching yeah, kind of thing. All yeah. of a sudden, they're moving back and forth again. Breathing life back into them. <laughs> I think it's blown every bit of dust off of this ranch and blown it right in our ears and eyes and nose. And, <laughs> and that's even with, with the rain that we had, because we did have a really good rain. The interesting thing about the rain is it came at a very ideal time for wildlife, didn't it, for here on the ranch? came at a major time for wildlife. I mean, everything's getting ready to grow, and it definitely needs to drink of water and it has changed overnight greened up overnight i mean this this ranch is the 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 mesquites are blooming everything's blooming you can see the forbs coming through you can see green tents everywhere you look and the wildlife has responded to it they're not as dependent as we saw these last three or four days on the feed stations that we were we were watching and hunting over it was overnight that way i mean friday and saturday they were in those stations 20, 30 at a time. The pig, st- the pig feeders, they were just all around it. And then we get a little nice weather and that rain comes through and we haven't seen a pig at a feeder in three days. Let's talk about that first pig that we shot. We didn't shoot him, David shot him. <laughs> it was. But we were there to witness it. <laughs> That was all, that was only by default because <laughs> you couldn't see the optic on your on your pistol. And it was Steph, filled with water. Steph's battery ran out of her optic on the AR, so and I couldn't have seen through that either because there was so rain all rain. over. Yeah, I couldn't so, have seen through it. So I guess that, in my opinion, that was bad luck. But there's no default when you drop a pig at 137 yards with open sights. Well, oh, and by the way, when it's raining so hard, you can't even hardly see the pig. Right. Especially with my aging eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about what you were using. What, what, what were you carrying? That was a, me, that's kind of a special deal. As well, yeah, yes, sir. That was a Winchester uh, 1894 that my dad handed down to me. And uh, I did the research on it. I ran the serial numbers on it. And that gun is 112 years old. 112 years old. 112 years old. So I guess in, in keeping in line with the, the history of this area, using a, a, a rifle that's 112 years old is, you know, first manufactured in 1894 i guess that was just kind of meant to be <laughs> i think so too of course you were in hornady ammo yes the lever evolution 160 grain that was impressive what it did to that i mean it went through 137 yards of water 
right. essentially. I right. mean, just raindrop. It was raining so hard. Literally, we were able to get it on camera, thankfully. But you can see in the, in the camera how hard it was raining for that bullet to travel that true and then hit it and pass through. Pass all the way through it. Those droplets were as big as my thumb. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they were coming down quick. They were coming down yeah. extremely hard. And don't, the, don't leave the hat part out. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. That, yeah. that plays well, to it, the excellence of the shot. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, Larry had his had his uh, tripod up there, and, and so I got a good rest on it, and, and I leaned down getting a good sight picture, and the rain was hitting the bill of my hat so hard that it just kept creeping down, creeping down, and I was putting pressure on the trigger and finally got to the point that the bill of my hat covered up the front side, so I had to back off the trigger, raise my raise my hat back up and then get back on it and, and squeeze the shot off. So, yeah, and, and, I mean, it was raining when we when we slipped up there on that tank dam, but it's like once we got set up, it's, it, it, the, the drops became dime-sized drops and more of them. They did. It was like I said, it was essentially a solid wall of, of water. It may be intersected in there a little bit by occasional little molecules of air or whatever. You know, right. Kind of thing. right. <laughs> and there wasn't much space in those molecules there. Mm-hmm. That pig was in sight and it just slowly started to fade away. And it was just like this white wall. <laughs> and that was the first time you had shot that ammo. You had not even that, sighted it in with that. That you, is the very first it time. it was I'm, right on. Yeah. That was pretty impressive, too. Yeah, because I was shooting, I think, uh, just, a, just a basic 160-grain flat nose. And then uh, I bought the Larry Revolution, and yeah, this is the first time I've hunted. First mm-hmm. time I've ever shot it. I've never even never even put it on paper, so I don't think I have to. I, I don't think, think I you think, have I to. I think I'm good. As long as you're shooting at that 137 <laughs> yard or 130 that distance, I think you're in pretty good shape. <laughs> that bullet, I mean, from shot placement, you could not hit that animal any more perfectly. We heard it. And you could hear it. Oh, oh you could hear it. It, it hit with all the rain. It was the most beautiful yeah. sound. Uh, it was a beautiful sound. Yeah, you didn't have ear pro, and so you really heard it. I did. I did. <laughs> yeah. I did. Yeah. You. Got, I mean, even if you hung a lucky rabbit's foot from that gun, <laughs> I still. I think that gun, you should hang the gun from a lucky rabbit's foot. <laughs> well, I think it's become my, my, my favorite piece. As you noticed throughout I, the whole weekend, I, or the whole week, that's pretty much I, I noticed you had I several other guns with you, but for somehow or another, all those modern-looking scope guns and everything else kind of stayed. They just kind of lost their luster they after, did, after, after that, yeah. <laughs> well, I also noticed that lever actually stayed right in front of him on that steering wheel, too. Oh, absolutely. I all the riding around that we did on the side-by-side. Yeah, it was at the ready. He was sticking those long guns in the cases. That lever actually was no more than that far from him at all times. Ah, uh, you're pretty nostalgic. You like that kind of stuff I do in like history. That. So I do like that. Well, and, and the terrain out here, you know, all the brush, mesquite, cactus, and things like that. You know, that uh, it's a good brush gun. Short, mm-hmm. twenty inch barrel, easy to easy to mm-hmm. wheel around, and you know. it lends itself very nicely for hunting this. Because outside of like the uh, power line right away, you really don't see very far mm-hmm. here. You can't no. see. There's an abundance of, of uh, a lot of prickly pear, a lot of mesquite, a lot of tasahia, the little turkey cactus or Christmas cactus. Absolutely beautiful look at from a distance with a little bit. My God, though, it, it is a horrendous thing once you get it into you. <laughs> it doesn't come out. It's got millions of little barbs, so when you pull, there's no way you can just pull it out without pulling out flesh when you do. So one of those you try to avoid as much as you possibly can, and it's not very easy with the mouth that's here. No, it's almost impossible, <laughs> especially when you sit down to call a turkey and you sit right in the middle of one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. that, is, that is not good. That's kind of where I was hitting this. Let's talk a little bit about the, the turkey hunting here. You've got a decent turkey population, actually probably an excellent turkey population. 
We do. There's a there's a lot of turkeys, especially down around the river, and those big willow trees. They get up there and they roost and they live. But we had a tough time with them this week. All that weather and all that rain. I mean, two days prior to the arrival, they were just. I mean, you couldn't even hear yourself think in the mornings and the evenings. I mean, you get down there in the bottoms, and I, I think you could hit sticks together, and, and there'd be and twenty, respond. thirty gobblers all around you. You just pick which way you want to go, and it didn't matter what we did. I, I mean, we got them to gobble one day. Mm-hmm. The right over, they couldn't have been more than fifty yards, and mm-hmm. somehow a hen slipped between us and them, and it was over. Was and I couldn't get one to gobble. After that, but 95 miles, 95 <laughs> degrees and 30 mile an hour winds didn't help either. So. And there was that, it was drastic. It went, it went temperatures kind of not so high, then really, really high, then back down low again, high wind. It was yes. just, it was just all over the place. I don't think they knew what to do. I didn't know what to do. So luckily they didn't either. I didn't feel too bad. No. Well, and the coy- everything was quiet. The coyotes were not as loud as what they normally. No, yeah, the birds weren't chirping. Birds mm-hmm. were not chirping. Nothing moving. No, we were actually hoping to try to do some calling with the Burn Brothers' new ultrasonic caller and, uh, that I just got from uh, Gary Robertson. And unfortunately, the wind was blowing so hard, I didn't want to take a chance of even calling. You don't want to educate them in any form or fashion. So we just didn't, didn't really even do any of that kind of thing. But uh, I did listen to some very interesting turkey calling while I've been here. I've, <laughs> I've been around a lot of different camps with, with turkey, you know, people who are enamored with turkey calls. But uh, I learned a few things while I was here. Oh, I did too. Did you really? You, you I, did, really I did. learned that I, I thought I was good at teach, being a teacher. <laughs> but I, I, I have epically failed, and I want to <laughs> gravely apologize to you for that. <laughs> We're messing with you, Miss Steph. Well, I know. Well... I didn't let's, have the right equipment. Yeah, let's back up for just a second because you're trying to use a diaphragm call, and you're trying to use a diaphragm call where actually the call portion of it, not the the skirt around, the call portion, I think, was a little bit large. It was. It <laughs> so wouldn't fit in between my teeth, and so I'm trying. It just was. It was a hot mess. But I tried. At least I tried. Hey, for effort. I mean, you you won't know if you can do it unless you try. But I after last night, I believe that you'll be there. Yeah, I mean you're. I mean, sitting next to you and listening to you doing it that that helps. So now I've got it in my mind on what I need to do. I need to slow down, probably get a smaller diaphragm, mm-hmm. yeah, and then just slow down. Well, I, I try to push it to and think I'm in my head is what I am. And it, it's it's like shooting a bow mm-hmm. or anything else. You just have to practice, mm-hmm. keep at it, get that like muscle memory. Like I said, when you draw a bow back and you find that anchor spot, you know where it's at. You'll right. never forget it. Right? It's like riding a bike. Mm-hmm. And you drop that reed in your mouth, and it goes right in that same spot. you got to figure out where that spot is. And it's different for everybody. Everybody's mouths are shaped different. Mm-hmm. And so trimming yeah, that reed to make sure you get a good seal at the roof of your mouth. And I don't think I was getting that. And what I had to do, like I, the pressure that I had to, I just couldn't get the right sounds to come out. Yeah. Well, it, it, in my opinion, what I love to do is I like to get in my vehicle and, and get on YouTube. You know, with Bluetooth, mm-hmm. you can sync it. And I'll listen to, mm-hmm. to hens. And then I'll pause it, and I'll try to mimic it with my read. So we drive down the road. I mean, there's been many times where I've looked over and did, you know, people can hear me, and they're looking at me just like, what in the world? <laughs> See, and I do the same thing, but my call that actually fit me, the read broke in the middle of it. So it was done. Yeah. I left it in the car, and it just got too hot. But I'll do that, too, because I really don't care if somebody looks at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> I'm turkey calling. They're like, mm, all right. That's special. <laughs> <laughs> of course, to me, the diaphragm is the hardest of all the calls to use. 
you know, the other, the other one that's a little tough is, is getting to learn how to use a wing bone call. It's made actually from the outer wing <clears throat> bones of, of a turkey. That one's kind of tough. But the box calls are so much easier to use. The mm-hmm. slate calls after a little bit are so much easier to use. And, and then there's all kinds of little push-button things that you can get available these days, too. And, and even I think even here in Texas, I think we can even use electronic callers, which mm-hmm. to me, for turkey, that just kind of... That's, that's not turkey hunt as far as I'm concerned. I, I think part of the turkey hunt comes in from mastering the call, regardless mm-hmm. of what it is kind of thing, and then doing it yourself. Well, it, it's when you're talking to that bird and he's coming in. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's super exciting. That was, it's passionate. Mm-hmm. You're talking his language. He's he's responding to you. Mm-hmm. You know. Then you learn when he stops gobbling how you need to respond to that. It, it it's almost like an orchestrated dance, but it's there's no orchestration to it at all. Try to beat him in his own game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was it was perfect that that first morning, except for that other hen got in the middle. Yeah, I I really feel like if the hen hadn't blocked us, that oh he he'd have been right in your face. Mm-hmm. He'd have decoyed up real nice. I think this morning where I was sitting kind of on the edge of the property, on the edge of the river as well too. There were three or four gobblers, or at least four that I could tell mm-hmm. that were really gobbling up the storm for a pretty pretty good length of time this morning. And I think had y'all been there, you probably could have gotten, gotten in close enough to them and called them towards you kind of thing. I think it had worked there, but unfortunately it was right at the time when y'all were hunting over here. And I kept thinking, well, they're going to find one, you know, on the other side of the ranch. And, and we heard them gobble, but mm-hmm. they were they were a long ways away. Yeah, Our turkey hunt turned into a predator hunt real quick. Mm-hmm. And, but they were still, that was still a far stretch. But I think a lot of these birds, what they're doing is they're getting down. I mean, you've almost pegged it perfectly that day. It was hot. You know, they don't like getting their wings wet. Yeah. And. They don't. They, I, they'll sit in the roost and all morning long sometime rather than fly down. And the thing about it is they like to fly into a fairly open area. And here there's a lots of grass and vegetation uh, fairly open, but not to the point where when they hit the ground, they're not going to get their feathers right. even wetter than they were sitting in that tree all that long. <laughs> and I, and and I, I think part of that was the deal, too, is that electrical storm that came through here was just unbelievably beautiful, you know, yes. being able to sit here in the camp and watch it. But I know if you were sitting up in a tree and the wind was blowing 40 miles or better and it's raining and lightning strike, that, that's got to have an effect on the bird somewhat as well, too. And apparently I think it did. I think they were getting down, too, hanging later in the roost. Yeah. Getting down because you kept seeing them, but they were moving. Right. You know, you'd get a Jake with a Tom or you'd get a hen. They were they were, they were not interacting with you. I think no. they were getting down and going deeper into the, towards the river, deeper into the woods to get into maybe a more protected roost because this wind has been so strong. I mean, it was, what, six miles an hour this morning when we got in? By 10 o'clock, it's back to 17, and I believe it's in the 20s, back oh, yeah. in the mid-20s mm-hmm. right now. And that's not the gusts. It's gu- Sometimes yeah. it would gust, and I would you kind of push yep. back a little bit. Yep, and so I think they're, I think they're responding to that. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we don't have those big open area fields for them to swoop down no. into. So those hens are coming out of those roosts, and they're off to wherever they're going. And those toms are probably just trying to catch up. I think they probably... Let's talk about hog hunting a little bit more. There are lots and lots of hogs in this area. I've I've hunted all over this area, not here previously so much right here, but just to the west of us on the Nail Ranch and the Stasny Cook and Lamb's Head and a bunch of these other big ranches over there. And this country is literally covered up with hogs. 
except for when we were looking for them, other than the bunch that we got into in the rain that you were able to thankfully take right. one. So, because I really needed to photograph for a DSC game trail uh, story that I'm doing. So that's going to work out really well. I'm going to see too if we can't pull maybe a, a photograph or two off of the video because it was shot in 4K. So we may be able to get one shows all the rain and everything as well too. It should really be kind of cool yeah. too. Well, there, there's a the hogs are ridiculous as you've seen. Yeah, it was funny. I was thinking about this earlier. We were talking last night after dinner. We were talking about Fort Griffith being a big buffalo hide. Right, exactly. And then I was thinking about David carrying that lever action, and I was then I thought, man. It almost looks like the buffaloes have, are back on this piece of property. <laughs> because for whatever reason, those hogs are mad at this ranch. It, they're, I mean, you saw the destruction of the old railroad area. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's no railroad track. We're still trying to find out. Not the track's not there anymore, but the pathway, if you will, the right of way. And we're not sure when it was created or anything, something else we're going to have to try, try to find out. But the sides of the, of the were going to the river where they built the earth up quite a bit, you know, to accommodate going across the river on and look like the one heck of a bridge. Mm -hmm. They're all torn up. Of course, all the stuff down below is, but they actually dug into the, to the, that berm itself, and the staff, you walked mm -hmm. kind of another direction from what we did. What did you find back in there? Oh, room? it was destroyed. It looked like a minefield, just <laughs> blown up everywhere. I found little holes where they dug up underneath bushes where they'd back in and hide. Mm -hmm. I ran up on a few, and they took off. And I mean, it was just it was destroyed back there, completely destroyed. Yeah, I, I told David when, we, when David and I stepped up on top and walked to see what it reminds me of. It's an old shooting range where they build the berm behind the, the targets. And if you go there after years and years and years, it's just wallered out where all those bullets have just pounded that yeah. sand mm -hmm. pile. And that's what it looks like. And then you have areas where it's just these holes. And you can almost see the outline of these pigs. Or you'll see where they have gone. And some of these things, some of these holes are this deep. And they're angled. And they're angled. They like to put the rear end down so they can just keep that head up and look. And... They put themselves in places where nothing can sneak up behind them, and when they do, they can jolt right out of them, as you saw not 30 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Well, and then they tore up all the roots of everything. I mean, mm -hmm. it, they were they were tearing up the roots of trees, yep. the cactus, I mean, just anything. It didn't matter. They were just getting up underneath and eating the roots. Yeah, we were, like we were talking earlier, I've, I've driven down here multiple times, you know, in an evening hunt and come back, and it's fine. You go back down there in the morning... And there's cactus lobes all over the road like a bomb had gone off and like the carnage laying everywhere mm -hmm. where they had come in that night and just annihilated one of these big areas of prickly pears. And, and as y'all saw, some of these areas of prickly pears are huge. <laughs> they, you know, they're 15, they 20 foot wide circle mm -hmm. areas mm -hmm. and they'll come in and wipe them out in a night. You're right. It's, it's interesting because and it's great food for them apparently. They like that root. They like the root. And evidently, they like the pear as well, too. You know? Yes. We found several spots where I did, where I was just kind of walking around this morning after I called you guys and waiting for y'all to come down. Of course, the wind came up, so you couldn't go after the turkey. But I found several places. You can see where they kind of scooped out mm -hmm. the uh, the side of a pad, you know, and there'd be just the bottom side there, and you can see the teeth marks where they kind of scooped them out kind of thing. Wow. So. So, but and there's no lack of prickly pear in this country. So there's a tremendous amount of food here, and you got a lot of mesquite trees. So there's a lot of mesquite beans here at times as well too. And there is, there is, and they like to. I think some of these younger mesquites, 
I've never seen it done, but I really believe they like to put the, to root up underneath them to get them over to get those mesquite beans. That's probably what they're doing. Because if you you know they you see multiple places, they get up to one side and they'll go all the way down mm -hmm. to the root, yeah. and then that tree dies. There yeah. they go. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, the, the, the hogs are here to stay. They're no matter what we throw at them or what kind of chemical they come up with that is supposedly set up to control them. I don't think it ever will. They're so adaptable and they're so blooming smart. And I think if they see one pig die because of something that they think might have it might have eaten, they'll quit eating it. I thought it was funny. I was last year. I noticed every time, whether it be this property or any of the properties we manage, I noticed that. Every time we would do work on the pins around the feed stations, whether it was to make them bigger, put new panels in, right. whatever it was, within about 48 hours, you'd get pictures of pigs circling the outsides of those pins. And they'd notice something was different, and I, I believe they're circling it, looking for a weak spot, seeing if something was missed. And the only reason I figured out that's what they were doing was we had done some work on one, and... I guess at some point, one of the guys forgot to wire in one of the panels to one of the T-posts. Right. And so, somehow that t that panel just opened up just a little bit. Enough to when they came and circled it, they saw it. They found it. And that was open. all they needed to stick that nose in there and move it over. Squeeze Enough, the and they were in. And I've noticed it. So, I started paying attention to it more. Right. Whether it be on this ranch or whether anywhere, any of the ranches we, we manage, they'll, start, they'll come in, they'll start circling every time if they can't find a weak spot they leave and then you, you don't see them again and they'll randomly pop up and it's usually a walk by but they're not circling and they're doing it slow multiple times i thought that was pretty interesting they're smart they are smart thank you, thank you. truly appreciate the opportunity to be with y'all this morning thanks for joining us around the campfire to leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode go to instagram at larry wysoon outdoors Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors, 